Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together to now continue our worship of You through the proclamation of Your Word, Our prayer is that everything that we hear has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross for us. None of this is possible without him and his work. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. What you're looking at is an image of Raku or Reku, Raku, pottery, however you want to pronounce it. Basically, this is how it works in a nutshell. The artist actually forms the pot pre-hand and then takes the pot, puts it in a kiln, and I think it gets up to about 1,800 degrees. And then they take that pot out after it's been heated up to 1,800 degrees. Now, mind you, at this point, there's two things going on. There's the shape of the pot. Now, the shape of the pot is unique to each individual pot. The artist wants to create each shape of that pot to look the exact same, but however it may be, they kind of come out with like a greenish glaze to them. But immediately what the artist does is take that pot with the greenish colored glaze and then puts it into a smoldering pile of sawdust or maybe strips of paper. That sawdust and paper lights up even further, but what it does this time, it creates a unique individual pattern of art on each individual pot. Therefore, the shape of the pot might be the same, but the art rendered through this process is individually, uniquely different. Brothers and sisters, this is so with every child of God. We bear the imprint of God's hand on us as He is the potter and we are, that's right, the clay. Isaiah 64, 8 says as much when Isaiah the prophet said, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay and You are our potter. We are all the work of Your hand. Brothers, And sisters, really what we're getting at too this morning is this. God refines His children, and He does so through trials and tribulations. His purpose in refining us is to make us like Jesus. That's the whole purpose. God allows suffering in our lives so we can become like Jesus. Him. He is the artist and uses that suffering to turn us into His masterpiece. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The Art of Suffering. The Art of Suffering. Today we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be going through verse 12. And like we mentioned earlier, we are beginning the book of James. The theme then for James, this is a little overarching look for this book as we're going to spend the next number of months in the book of James. But 
James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Now, there are going to be those who would dispute this. There are some religions that claim that Jesus didn't have any brothers, but we know that this isn't true. James, the author of James, this letter, one of the first letters written, he himself was Jesus' half-brother. See, the theme of this book, though, centers around pastoral advice, because that's exactly what James is doing. He's writing out to a general audience. He's writing to many different churches, and the overarching theme is him giving pastoral advice to those who are leading these churches. See, James uses rebuke. And he uses exhortation to encourage gospel-centered behavior. Because really, at the end of the day, everything that we're going to see from here on out in the book of James, the purpose is to encourage us in gospel-centered behavior. There is controversy surrounding James, though, in this book, and it has everything to do with justification by work. So we want to just get this out of the way up front, from the outset. So what we will do is this. We'll jump ahead for one brief moment. These verses will not be on the screen, but I just want to point this out because some people get a little confused when it comes to works and faith or what you have to do to earn your salvation and so on and so forth. But this comes from James 2, verse 24. And mind you, what did we just say? Oh, that's right. The reason why we preach in context are for this purpose alone. Because if we just take James chapter 2, verse 24, it reads like this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. See, if we don't preach James in context or the Bible in context, we could take that to say that you can earn your salvation by the work that you do. We could say, well, you know, look at us, Villa's Grace Church. Look at all the opportunities we've had to serve others since Hurricane Ian. We're earning our salvation, right? Well, according to that, out of context. But let's go ahead and see what James is really saying, because you can't take 24, verse 24 in chapter 2, without first looking at a verse 10 verses prior. And that is James chapter 2, verse 14, that says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Hmm. See, really, when we look at James... Today and all the other Sundays from here on out, what we need to understand is this. We cannot earn our salvation, but it's our salvation, it's our saving faith in Jesus that motivates us to do the work that God has called us to do. And that's what we can't forget. It is His Spirit that He has put in us that is the driving force of the work that He has called us to So with all that being said, today we're going to be encouraged to, as it says here in the text, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The Lord will use these trials to shape and mold us into Christ's likeness like we mentioned earlier. And again, which is why we've titled this sermon this, The Art of Suffering. So let's go ahead and get into this text and see what James has for us as far as it is to be encouraged in suffering into Christ-likeness in order to be in a relationship with God forever. James chapter 1, verse 1. 
James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, but with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away." For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into one simple sentence that makes it easier to understand what is going on. And that simple sentence states this. It's very simple. Suffering temporarily through trials prepares believers for eternity. It's really just that simple. Suffering temporarily through trials prepares believers for eternity. And if you look at that sentence, there's really two things going on that make it like one of those moments where it's like, ah, relief, right? First and foremost, suffering is only temporary, and our relationship with the Lord is forever. Let's look at the first four verses. How James begins here is really the attitude that all of us need to adopt. What does he say? He says, James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, James is actually setting the tone here to show that he is obedient, he is Devoted, he is subservient to Jesus. This letter is a broad-reaching letter that we had mentioned earlier, because what does it say? It says, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. But after he gets through the greeting, he goes right into it, and he's very matter-of-fact. In verse 2, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See, trials themselves produce suffering. And these trials are not joyful. But it's not about the trials being joyful. It's about the end result being joyful. And this is the process that we mentioned earlier with the Reiku pots. That Reiku pottery. The whole process is art, but it's the end result that makes the art worth the effort. Brothers and sisters, have you stopped and wondered? Have you ever stopped and asked the question yourself? Is my life worth it? For everything that Jesus has done upon the cross, is, is my life worth it? Is it? Well, I think it's obvious from James this morning what we're seeing here and what we're going to see that to the Lord, yes, your life is worth it. Now, the key word here is when. When. Suffering 
will happen. Therefore, it's a foregone conclusion. Become a Christian and your life becomes more difficult. I can attest myself that some of the most difficult days that I've experienced in my life have come after having given my life to Christ. After I came to a saving faith in Jesus, some of the worst days I've ever experienced came after that moment. Brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters of suffering. All or some of us have suffered losing a loved one. We mentioned Madeline Edgerton earlier this morning. Her family just experienced losing a loved one. All of us have lost a loved one. We know what that feels like. We know what it's like to suffer through the emotions of that. All or some of us have suffered to parent a child. That's not easy. Parenting is extremely difficult. And one of the things that a parent learns as they continue to parent is that you never stop parenting your children. All or some of us have suffered to just make ends meet. Suffering is natural. Suffering should be expected. Brothers and sisters, suffering, as it says here, in faith produces steadfastness. See, steadfastness actually is the same as saying endurance. And the one thing that I have learned over the years as I continue to walk with the Lord and live more years on this earth is that if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't get up and move your body, you will lose your body. So why wouldn't it be any different for us as believers? If God doesn't use us, it's worthless. But in order to use us, in order to be in a relationship with us, He's going to take us through trials. And He's going to be right there with us all along the way. No matter how much suffering we experience, He's doing it so He can perfect us into Christ's likeness so we can be in a relationship with Him. And we're arrogant to think that we could be in a relationship with Him without going through the suffering first. If you think that you can go through this life with no trials or tribulations or never experiencing any amount of suffering, then you're not worthy of being in the presence of the Lord because you're too proud and you think you can do it on your own. And you don't realize that it's not our works that save us. It's our faith that saves us. And it's the works that's produced from our faith that makes us acceptable to the Lord because some of those works might involve some amount or a lot amount of suffering. Again, we titled this sermon, The Art of Suffering. God is the artist and we are the Raku pottery. The Lord is refining us so that, as it says, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's encouraged me. 
Sometimes when we're suffering, we feel like we're lacking in everything. Allow me, allow for me to share this encouragement with you. See, the Lord can use our past suffering so we can walk alongside somebody else in their current suffering. What you experienced in the past might just be preparing you for the current suffering that somebody else is going through. It may not be the exact carbon copy, but, you know, it's like we say about history. Some people think that history repeats. Not necessarily true, but history often does rhyme. And if you know the rhythm of suffering in a particular area, maybe the Lord took you through something in the past to help somebody currently. Or maybe, maybe, let's just take it one step further, maybe you're experiencing a certain amount of suffering right now. Well, maybe the Lord's preparing you to help walk alongside somebody else in the future. The Lord does not waste His time. That's further evidence that we are worth it, but only so if we have faith in Jesus. Because after all, we can't forget how James started this letter off. He made it very clear who our allegiance is to. I just want to share this quote from J. Vernon McGee. And he has a line in here that you'll pick up on, but I just want you to know that J. Vernon McGee did not preach recently. So when you hear what I'm about ready to say, just know that like there's nothing new under the sun. It isn't like this world changed all of a sudden in the last 15 years. It didn't. The same ruler of this world has been the same ruler of this world, the only ruler of this world since sin entered God's creation. So let me read what J. Vernon McGee had to say. He said this, he said, When God tests us today, He puts us into the furnace. He doesn't do that to destroy us or to hurt or harm us, but He wants pure gold. And that is the way He will get it. Friend, what is developed in Christian character is just that. At that time of testing, the dross is drawn off the precious gold appears. That is God's method. That is God's school. We don't hear that teaching very much in our day. Rather, we are being taught to become sufficient within ourselves. Oh, my friend, you and I are not adequate. We are not sufficient, and we never will be. We simply come to God as sinners, and He saves us by His grace through the blood of Christ. Then He wants to live His life through us. He tries to teach us this through our trials. He is drawing us closer to Him. Brothers and sisters, to be drawn close to God is to be made like Christ. And this brings us to our first point this morning, which states this. To suffer is to be made like Christ for the purpose of being with God. It's really that simple. No matter what it is that you're currently going through or what you've gone through in the past, the one reminder that we need to remind ourselves is just that. To suffer is to be made like Christ for the purpose of being with God. God wants us to be refined to the point that we are perfected. We're complete, lacking in nothing for the sole purpose of being in a relationship with Him for all of eternity. 
Now can you see why the theme of this letter is pastoral? Why James is actually encouraging us in gospel-centered behavior? Because when we actively pursue gospel-centered behavior on a daily basis, we're preparing ourselves for the one day that we will be with the Lord forever. Again, we don't want to forget our main idea that stated this, the overarching idea for today's sermon. Suffering temporarily through trials prepares believers for eternity. I want to share this. One of the only kings of Israel, one of three that was actually considered to be a good God-fearing man, Solomon. In 1 Kings 3, he said this. He said, a man who asked God for a wise and discerning mind. That is he. That is Solomon. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he, he says this, and this is, this is going to be up on the screen for you. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun. What I love about Solomon is he could have asked the Lord for anything. And what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. If you could have asked the Lord for anything, would you ask for wisdom? Are you mature enough in Christ to ask for wisdom? Brothers and sisters, life is full of fleeting moments. And that's why he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. See, the only lasting efforts are accomplished through God for the sake of eternity. There's nothing fleeting with the Lord. Everything is forever. And we see this starting with verses 5 and 8. And like Solomon, we too should ask for wisdom from God. See, what does it say here? Who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, the key, though, is to ask in what? Ask in faith. Verses 5 through 8 reveal quite a bit about this world. Do you notice where wisdom comes from when you look at these verses? When you look at these verses, do you, do you recognize where wisdom's actually coming from? It's simple. Wisdom comes from above. In a few weeks, we will be in James 3. I just want to read verse 17 for you. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We know it's from above from verse 5. Verse 5 lets us know that wisdom comes from above because it says, ask God. And then in verse 6, we still know that wisdom comes from above because it says, ask in faith. Therefore, if we know that wisdom comes from above, then we know where wisdom doesn't come from. If wisdom can only come from above, then we know that it can never come from this world. Verse 6 solidifies this. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that driven and tossed by the wind. See, doubt and speculation are the opposite of faith. If America then runs on Duncan, which according to Duncan Donuts, that's the truth, then we know that this world runs on doubt. The difference between faith and doubt during a time of suffering makes all the difference in the world. 
Would you rather go through your suffering with faith or would you rather go through your suffering in doubt? One's going to point you to the end game scenario that is eternal, everlasting joy because you're in the presence of the Lord. The other is condemnation due to your sin. In verses 9 through 11, we see suffering between two types of people. We see suffering between the lowly and rich brother. But whether one is lowly or rich, the same down payment is required. See, that's something that just blows my mind. Even in today's world, a billionaire still has the same phone that somebody who can barely make ends meet. There's no difference. But the same is true with our Christianity and our faith. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. It's still the exact same down payment required for your eternity. And we get this from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, actually, we're going to look at 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, what's interesting about that too, if you go back to works and faith, if the Holy Spirit is the down payment, and if we know we receive the Holy Spirit after we come to a saving faith in Jesus, then we know we cannot work to earn our salvation. So what we're seeing here is this. It says that the promised Holy Spirit is who we've been sealed with. And then verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 1 starts off by saying, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Because if we have saving faith in Jesus, the Lord makes the down payment with the Holy Spirit, and now we have a guarantee. So you can't lose a guarantee. Nobody can take that from us. Once we come to a saving faith in Jesus, nobody can strip that from us. And no amount of suffering or trials or tribulations can disqualify us from eternal salvation. The lowly brother and the rich brother inherit the kingdom the exact same way. Same kingdom inherited the exact same way. By grace alone, in faith alone, in Jesus alone. Our faith is a gift given to us from God. See, the lowly brother, even the rich man, both will fade away in the midst of their pursuits, as it says right here. It doesn't matter. The rich brother, even if you uh, will fade away, it will still be done in the midst of your pursuits because no brother can buy their way out of suffering. That's another thing for us to remember, too. We get that misconstrued, don't we? We think, well, if I just, you know won the lottery or had a you know, rich uncle that passed away and you know, left me a little bit of an inheritance, all my problems would be gone. That couldn't be further from the truth. Nobody can buy their way out of any amount of suffering. You can't put a price. You cannot put a price on what only Jesus can do. Brothers and sisters, real riches are eternal, and they're only found in Christ. Real riches are only found in, as it says here, what does it say? Oh, that's right. Real riches are only found in wisdom from above. 
This is a playing field that only Jesus could level. So as Joe comes up and and joins me and we we close out this morning, I just want to look at verse 12. See, we clearly know that it's not about the digits in your bank account that matter. That has nothing to do with it. But it has everything to do with the fact of whether or not you possess the crown of life or not. That's what matters. What does it say? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. This is the same as saying, blessed is the man who has endurance trained in the midst of past suffering. It's it's really no different. If you want to run a marathon, you have to run some miles prior to. It's kind of difficult to go run a marathon cold up off the couch with no training. The suffering that we experience is just that. It's training for our future relationship with the Lord. And only the wisdom from above would lead one into such training. Without God's wisdom, we will never be led into that training. Without the wisdom from above, we will never be able to endure that level of training, let alone the suffering that we're training for. See, being blessed has everything to do with inner joy. Being blessed has everything to do with eternity. Being blessed has nothing to do with your current circumstance. Brothers and sisters, if you're currently suffering, know that it's the Lord's way of preparing you to be with Him. And I know some of us are in the midst of a trial. I know some of us right now are in the midst of some intense suffering. Even to the point to where you feel like you don't even have an answer to what you're going through currently. I know that some of us in the midst of that are trying our best to endurance train. So you're prepared. However, all of us should be, as it says right here in our text, the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's who we should all strive to be because after all, we strive for the crown of life because anything else in the words of Solomon is vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And this brings us to our second point, which states, only the wisdom from above can produce endurance training for the suffering below. That's right. Only the wisdom from above can produce endurance suffering below. That's the good news. The gospel tells us that we belong with Him even though we're down below now. Everything that we experience here is for our future relationship there. Again, we also said this morning that to suffer is to be made like Christ for the purpose of being with God. That was our first point this morning. And finally, our main idea, that one sentence that summed up everything that we saw in these verses stated this. Suffering temporarily through trials prepares believers for eternity. 
We should be so encouraged, not discouraged, especially when we follow the word of life, Jesus himself. And in his word, he tells us, for when you face trials of various kinds, the Lord has given us a blueprint on how to pursue him when we go through what we go through so he can continue to use us while we're still here on this earth for the ultimate purpose of being with him in eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be encouraged in you this morning. I pray that we can allow your word to transform us, shape us, mold us into Christ's likeness so we can share our faith with others and have others come to a saving faith in you and be in a forever eternal relationship with you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray this prayer. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.